Hey everybody, I'm Jay Jones. And I'm LT. And we are the, the Dose, Dose Offensive, Offensive Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Now let's talk about some shit. Hey everybody, welcome back, welcome back. Today we have a special, special guest today, because we have a special episode. So uh, uh, we have VC uh, here with us. We're going to talk about jujitsu and jiu everything uh, to strangle you with. Um or really to choke you. It's not really strangle, right? It's choke. Yeah, technically, it's a, they're, they're the same thing. Uh, okay. Sure. It, it really it really depends if you're a whiny bitch or a <laughs> man <laughs> of whether you're being strangled. He strangled me. Or are you being choked? I felt choked. assaulted. You give me that My neck is so offended. <laughs> yeah, that motherfucker choked me. Or <laughs> yeah. he, he strangled, he strangled me. me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but uh, uh, before we get into that, uh, for this uh, segment of Bartender Weekly, we have Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark bourbon. Now, uh, before we get too deep into it, this is already kind of a mainstay on my shelf. I use this in uh, as a primary in my uh, cocktails, especially my uh, old, old fashions. Oh, yeah. Absolutely love it. Uh, this one in Knob Creek, which we've had on the podcast before. Uh, so a few things with uh, Maker's Mark. So Maker's Mark has a uh what is iconic with the maker's mark the wax the wax, wax right so like that's the thing that's the iconic thing right so uh a few things about uh at maker's mark each bottle is said to involve the four w's water wheat wood and wax the red wax resting on the top of every bottle of a maker's is a time-honored tradition that dates back to the to 1958 and the very first bottle the distillery ever sold. The idea came from Mar uh, Margie, Mar Margie, yeah, we'll say Margie Samuels, who founded the distillery with her husband. The marketing brains of the operation. She came up with the bottle design for Maker's Mark, as well as the idea to dip each bottle in wax. At the time, bourbon was seen more as moonshine than a connoisseur's beverages today. The design and detail that went into Maker's Mark uh, design were part of what made it stand out against the competition. The first bottle was dipped using wax heated in a deep fryer on the on the Samuel stove. So that's like some moonshine stuff, right? <laughs> right. Uh, the formula for Maker's Mark wax used today was developed by Tom Hammond in his garage. See, M more just more like. Did it, was there a trailer park involved as well? <laughs> well, it is Kentucky. I don't know. We're about <laughs> halfway through this article. It may come up. Uh, it took six months and a lot of trial and error for him to create the iconic wax. Uh, one important feature of it, it will melt. It will only melt at 350 degrees in a trailer park in North Carolina. No, it's, no I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but it will only melt at 350 degrees, so there is no risk of it melting after it initially dries on the bottle. Uh, that could make for some messy bottles if it got warm uh, in transportation at the house. Uh, while even the most casual whiskey drinker knows that Mark has, Maker's Mark has red wax on top, most people don't realize that each bottle was hand-dipped. Dippers stand near the end of the bottling line and hand-dip each and every single bottle. Uh, in his prime, Bill Samuels Jr., the son of Maker's founder, said he could even tell who dipped each bottle by looking at it on the shelf. Each bottle is dipped by hand, it actually makes the bottling line a bit slower than some of the competition. While some distilleries can pump out 200 to 400 bottles per minute, Maker's Mark 
uh, of hand dippers currently do no more than 125 bottles each minute. But see that, that so that's a lot, that's a great thing. You guys that little bit of characteristic because you ever notice like the the wax forming on the top of mixer mar- mixer. It's always one, unique. It's always unique. They're yeah. never they're never to the same. Like if you had machine dipped or something like that. Thing also, you know, it's completely. They prize themselves on being completely handmade. So you know, there's a lot of love going into these bottles. And it's probably why they don't they don't output as much as others. Like you know, you have bigger distilleries where a lot of things are automated now, and uh, I think it, it you kind of lose some of that, I guess, characteristic. Well, uh, I like that. I mean, I like that characteristic. I like the the characteristic of like handmade. Yeah. You know, it just adds character or like a special attachment to it. I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah I, I understand what you guys are saying, but I'm I'm thinking of it all from a different perspective, to be honest. I, I think, uh, you know, we're talking back from the moonshine days when they got started. So there's probably their their sister's little kids, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, and they needed a task to get done. They say, well, they can dip the wax, you know, <laughs> just and keep them busy. Keep, we can keep <laughs> some costs down, you know, <laughs> here and, and that, get it done. <laughs> yeah, that would not be the first time. Yeah, right? you know, it would not be surprising. <laughs> You see that you see that a lot. Like, oh, you're old enough to work the shop. Like, get, get your yeah. ass in there. Get in there and start dipping some bottles. Yeah. And obviously, you know, she's a marketing genius. So she said, no, it just adds originality. And reality is they had a seven-year-old just like, how many? What kind? Dip the bottom. <laughs> and now it's the icon. Look now it's that. iconic. Yeah. 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 All right. So the move on, uh, we are going to go and, and, and keep up with the uh, DOG tradition in offering a toast. So, gentlemen, get your glasses. And, of course, because of this podcast and with my old friend, this toast, our toast today is to jiu-jitsu. 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 That's that's some good bourbon. (laughs) It is is really good bourbon. (laughs) It is. Uh, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, you like to use it with old fashions and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's a great mixing whiskey. I actually like, uh, one of my favorite drinks is whiskey sour. I do it the old-fashioned way with the raw egg, everything. And I'll tell you, my two favorite mixings for it is the Maker's Mark is definitely one. The other is... uh, not that I don't know how you guys feel about mixing other whiskeys into the conversation, but the Jameson Select. No, no, we. Oh no, we, we're here. To, we're here to talk uh, about drinks. So. We don't get paid for this. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> this so, is, this we have not, no obligation. We're not being sponsored by makers or anybody else. We'll talk about whatever the hell we want. So okay, so yeah, those are the, my two favorite for that. And I mean, obviously, there are some better, smoother whiskeys and and other things to use, but I really like the flavors in those. They're strong. They're but not overpowering, and it's really good and. You know this. This is nice too. This way, just like this. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and plus we got a nice spread, which actually adds to it. Yeah. Which, thank, thank. We have exquisite meats and cheeses. Yeah. Yeah. It's straight from the (laughs) deli. (laughs) (laughs) I'm told white people like cheese. Yeah, we do. I I eat the shit out of some cheese. I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) I got like three packs of string cheese in the fridge right now. You like some cheese? And that's that craft stuff in the can. You can't get more high quality. Oh, cheese whiz. <laughs> Straight to the mouth. I don't need no crackers. That's right. <laughs> oh man, that, was that uh, the sign? Crackers that, love cheese. Crackers <laughs> love cheese. <laughs> and welcome to Dose Offensive, <laughs> gentlemen. All righty. All right. So what we're doing again today? This is going to be a special episode, and we're going to talk about a big uh, uh, pastime, or not even a pastime, a way of life for us, and that is jujitsu. So. 
With me, uh, just a little quick little background. VC and I are uh, both uh, black belts in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and we've done it for quite a long time. Matter of fact, VC is the one who got me into doing Jiu-Jitsu. Um, many years ago. Many, many <laughs> moons ago. And uh, it, it's it's been a part of our lives ever since. It's been, and and it, it's grown like a family. Like we've, because over the years, you know, we've, we've we've added to the family uh, as we go along, as we start infecting people with jujitsu, and uh, you know, it, it, to me, like you know, some people will say it's a hobby or it's a sport or whatever, but it's 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 a lifestyle. It's because once you get bit bit with it, you know, you, you just start everything starts revolving around jujitsu. Uh, absolutely, it, it does. And as far as it being a lifestyle, there's no other way to really describe it, especially after you've done it as long as we have. You actually start to find that what jujitsu is kind of changes over the years and time and and everything else and uh you know another close friend of ours one of our family members so to speak is uh actually going through one of those changes right now even where he's transitioning from a high level international competitor to instructor uh teacher and you know writer of his jujitsu journey kind of thing so it's changed it, it changes along the way the fact is you can't be a high-level competitor forever. It just no. doesn't happen. Eventually, you turn 80, 90 years old, you, and, you know, there's 25-year-old black belts out there, and you're not going to beat them. It, it's just, <laughs> it, it happens. Eventually, it happens. I'm going to so, try, Sonny. That's right. <laughs> and, and maybe you take a different approach to what victory means. Does it mean, okay, yeah, I might not have been able to submit that 25-year-old black belt, but... You know, he didn't submit me either, so we're okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I survived the roll, so yeah, we're, but we're good to go. Really turns into this, okay, he mounted me and and uh, pretty much could have did what he wanted, but he couldn't choke me. He or couldn't, couldn't finish it. Yeah, couldn't finish it. So you yeah. find some small justifications in that, but sometimes you have to take a step back and say, yeah, I'm not the same person I was 30 years ago. No. And uh and, and jujitsu takes on different meanings. You at different know, times. and you say that too because I'm going through that same sort of uh, transition where you know, you know me. I used to be like the the mad dog. I wanted to go out there. I'm gonna I'm gonna enter every division. I'm gonna go. You know, uh, as many things I can. I'm just gonna be. I just want to get on the mat. I don't care what's out there. You can put a dinosaur on the other end of the mat. I'm gonna freaking choke it. And you know, it's hot, hot. You know, really hot. Always firing, ready for the next competition, ready for the next competition, and. And then I started getting older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so before we start getting too deep into the, the stories and, and everything, um, how long have uh, you two, well, real well, quick, before before we even get into that, the dynamic here in this conversation is me, Jay Jones, being the complete rookie uh, white belt that I am, uh, meaning I'm the lowest common denominator. At this uh, <laughs> at this table, you are practice. Yes, I am. I am. I am practice for the fish. Like I'm not even. <laughs> I can't even fight the fish yet. Right. I'm the warm up for them. Uh, but then we have uh, VC and LT who have been doing jujitsu and their black belts. Uh, for uh, LT, how long uh, have you been doing oh, jujitsu? Uh, how long has it been? I started in '94, and and then you I met you in '96. Six ninety seven. No, I think it was eight or later. I think it was about ninety eight or so. Maybe yeah. or ninety nine. Because oh, ninety nine. Ninety nine. Yes, yeah, ninety nine is when I met when I met you. And uh, so we're talking like nineteen years then. Yeah. Oh yeah, nineteen and then twenty plus. Yeah. yeah wow. So, and yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so as you can tell, we yeah, it, it, they're, we're, we're, we're kind of long in the tooth in the, the jiu-jitsu-wise. Right. So um, also for those who don't uh, really know what uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is, uh, how would you define jiu-jitsu on, uh, well, I, I want to ask you on a, on a technical basis, what is it? And then also kind of like on a uh, philosophical basis, like what kind of things has it learned, have you learned from it? Okay, I, I guess I can start. I, I actually like, it's definitely not my phrase. Uh, Joe Rogan has a phrase when he describes jujitsu, and I think it's the most accurate that I've heard anywhere or read anywhere ever. And he says that it's uh, advanced problem solving under extreme stress. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because you get a sweaty man on you trying to choke you out. You start uh, looking for solutions real quick. <laughs> exactly. So um, I guess I'll give a quick, quick little background on uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I know a lot of people are probably aware of it because of things like the UFC and MMA and stuff like that and how the Gracies came over and, and pretty much revolutionized the martial arts world. You know, we haven't seen a shakeup like that since really Bruce Lee. And um, it's uh, the, the what, what a lot of people don't often forget is that Jiu-Jitsu is, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is actually a lot older than a lot of martial arts that are practiced now. It's actually older than Taekwondo. Taekwondo was founded in the 1950s. Uh, it's older than Aikido. Um, it's older than most forms of uh, karate that are practiced nowadays. Um, so it has a history. It started its genesis in uh, 1925 uh, with the Gracie family after uh, uh, Maeda, uh, AKA Count Coma, had came down, uh, was uh, he was uh, asked to instruct uh, the Gracie children um, in jiu-jitsu and and turn to helping uh, Japanese uh, immigrants migrate to immigrate to uh, Brazil, and from there, you know, they they started a dynasty. And uh, when it comes to me, my 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 take on jiu-jitsu, like I, I can't I can't really beat Joe Rogan's, but. I always often liken jiu-jitsu as a, a full-body art. Like, it's one of the few martial arts that you could do where you literally will use every part of your body to its fullest. You know, it's not like, not saying that other uh, martial arts are bad, but, like, with karate, yes, you kick, punch, elbow, you know, use your feet, use your hands, and stuff like that. But in jiu-jitsu, you just feel like, you know, you're using everything. You're using your arms, your legs, your torso, your hips, your head, you know, you're 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 always involved and in, and in, in trying to do something which is generally to uh uh get the tap yeah and I, i'd just like to add on and this is something that newer jujitsu people may not really fully understand i i find i come across this a lot as people say well you know you don't punch and kick in brazilian jujitsu i'm like eh. Man, I know I've been doing this a long time, <laughs> and I know that a lot of schools today do not necessarily participate in that part of the education of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but yes, you do. Yeah. Okay? You do. Uh, a lot of people focus on the sport aspect, and in the sport of J Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there's no punches and kicks. That's yeah. true. That's illegal How, in the sport, but in the art of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, yes, I mean, they still even follow most of the traditional jiu-jitsu self-defense aspects. Yeah. As a matter so, of fact, uh, when uh, 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 Elio Gracie was is actually noted, to, he asked uh, what was his favorite, one of his favorite technique, and he said it was his sidekick. 
you know, and then you can actually go like in old Gracie photos from like the twenties and thirties and stuff like that. When you see them practicing jujitsu, you actually see them doing strikes, kicks, punches, and stuff like that, and defending against them and employing them. So yeah, sport jujitsu. Um, actually, uh, we could talk about that later. That's actually changing, um, but generally, sport jujitsu does not involve strikes. Uh, sports BJJ, but you know the aspect, the full aspect, of the scope of the art of jujitsu does definitely involve strikes. Well, going back to um, what you said, VC, about not being familiar with uh, doing jujitsu and doing the um, with strikes. Uh, I definitely got a wake up call because uh, LT, we were doing uh, jujitsu for what a few months, mm-hmm. like together, and that's that's when I first got my 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 BJJ bug, uh, and then we went over and did a street roll over with uh, with you guys, VC, and that was a huge wake up call for me because I'm like, what the hell are these punches <laughs> doing in my guard? This is <laughs> bullshit. Uh, but uh, it, it makes you think. Uh, the practical applications and how you have to employ them uh, of jujitsu. So, you know, you have to control the distance. You can't let um, your opponent kind of rear back for a strike and get the room, get the room so he can maneuver to, to hurt you, which, you know, that is a fundamental lesson that, um, like you said, we see a lot of uh, schools are not teaching their students because they're focusing on competitions. Right. And you know BJJ, like any other martial art, is is supposed to be for practical applications. Yeah. So a lot of things that uh, people tend to forget when in the history is that uh, you know BJJ was designed as an art of self defense, and it was designed to fight on the streets of Brazil. And for people that don't know, um, or people that do know, they know that you know Brazil can get kind of hot down there. You know, people could get kind of feisty, and they and they love the fight. You know, I think it's like their national pastime next to soccer, and often often uh, integrated with soccer. But uh, they, I th- thought it was carnival. Well, no, carnival is only once a year. Carnival. Yeah, but they they because you need that Shake much time ass. to recover afterwards. <laughs> uh. It's a, it's actually one night, but a week recovery time. Recover. <laughs> they get out of cachaça. Uh, yeah. Well, didn't also the uh, the valetuio? Didn't that also originate from? Yes. Um, in Brazil? Yeah, that, that originated in Brazil. Um, so Valetudo, meaning anything goes, was basically uh, the Gracie's way of basically trying to show, you know, hey, this is how good our art is and, you know, our family art is. So basically they would love to call out people. Um, and it, it's not just not just the Gracie's. I'm not trying to make them sound like, hood, you know, hoodlums. Um, but in Brazilian culture, especially back then, it was it was known to call out people to fight, to see who was the toughest, who was the king of the streets, who was the king of the beach. So you would call out people, um, and they would have fights, and then, and they would start off as little, you know, uh, intimate things, and then they started getting more public and public until they were televised events on TV. And so, uh, and that's the environment, you know, it, it grew up in, fighting other people. And, and a lot of martial arts at that time didn't really do that, right? So if you were doing Taekwondo, you were probably going to compete and fight against other Taekwondo people. If you're doing karate, same thing. It was very rare to find, you know, some matches between, like, karate and boxing. I mean, they did happen, but they were very rare. Um, whereas in Brazil, it was that was the case all the time. You know, oh, we're going to call out this judo school. We're going to call out this karate school. We're going to call out the Luta Libre school. You know, they were, they were constantly 
having, you know, these matches with people. And that's what led to its, you know, its uh, uh, reputation as a very effective martial art. Well, I mean, it's, it's tried and tested and true, right? So uh, for anybody else that's interested in the Valetudo and kind of what um, what all that kind of represents, there's a really good documentary on Netflix, sorry, not Netflix, on YouTube uh, called Choke, and that, that uh, follows Hicks and Gracie, right? Yes. Yeah, follows oh, yeah. Hicks and Gracie. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of eye-opening for me because not knowing much about it and then watching that, it's like, holy crap, like this is, yeah. this I is remember really when, good. And I remember that, when, that much came older out, when I came out, um, if you had a vi- videotape of it, that was like gold, man. Like you would, you would, actually, if you had like a master tape, you could literally charge people like $50, $60 to make a copy of it. Yeah, I think the first copy I actually got, I got from a, from a friend of ours from one of the original t- teams that I ever competed with, Team Ugly which stood for uh, U.S. German Legion International. Uh, and one of the guys on there had a, had a copy, but it was like a sixth or seventh VHS copy-to-copy oh. scenario. So <laughs> You could still see the original taping. It was, it. it was pretty, oh, it must have been, I don't even know what kind of resolution, something less than 200. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what? I watched it like 10 times in a row just, lap just right behind each other again and again and again uh these because at that point uh i mean the gracie family were still uh like these gods yeah they they were just their game was so far ahead of everybody else at that point uh that they were they were gods and that's it's kind of odd because there was a stereo a stereotype even just you know, 10 years ago. And today it still exists to some extent where, you know, supposedly a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, if you're a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, there's like nobody who can beat you. Uh, there's this, it's a mystique about the art. Oh, I wish And it comes so from, <laughs> it, it comes from, you know, those days when uh, there was no purple belts on the planet. There was basically the Gracie family and everybody else. Yeah. And everybody else was like white. And if you were a super athlete, you were like a blue belt level. And oh, yeah, I, even at my age today, a white or a blue belt, I can fight them relatively easy and still coach other people on the mat. And I'm never in danger, uh, you know, but that's that's them. And back then, that's all there was, was yeah. that kind of a gap. Now... You got purple and brown belts out there who are in their early 20s yeah. and have been training for seven years and eight years uh, with good instructors and dedicate not one or two days a week, but five and six days a week to training. And these guys are dangerous. And the and I'll tell you, uh, I don't care who you are as a black belt. You could be current world champion as, as a black belt. You get one of these 25-year-old lions in your gym, uh, purple or, you know, a good purple belt or a or a brown belt, and he's got a chance, yeah. a real chance. You you better not, uh, you know, sleep on him because you'll you'll end up waking up literally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you'll literally sleep. That's true because I remember you know when I started too, and then uh, you know white belt. Now, granted, I got my blue belt really really quickly. Um, it came pretty quick. It also was not your first martial art, though. No, it wasn't. Right? So, so you had previous martial art experience. Yeah, by the time I started jujitsu, I was already a black belt in uh, judo and actually several forms of karate. And, and I was a goddamn ninja. Uh, <laughs> I used to do Bujinkan and Gimbukan uh, ninja arts. So, um, yeah, I was a nerd. Anyway, 
But uh, when it was so rare to see, like, if you saw someone with a blue belt, you know, they were like, oh, at that time, you had blue belts opening schools. That was the standard. Yeah, a blue, in fact, there was a lot of talk way back in the day, and I'm sure there's people out there who can remember when, when people used to make the comparison that a BJJ blue belt was the equivalent to a black belt in any, any other, other martial, martial art. art. Yep. So That was very common. That was wow. a common statement. So blue belts were open in schools everywhere. I opened my first school when I was a blue belt. Yeah. Matter of fact, because in uh, what led to that, what led credence to that whole that saying is because you would actually have, so you had a BJ Penn as a white belt entered into a uh, judo tournament and in the black belt category as a white belt and won. He submitted everybody. That dude's beast mode. Yeah, but so you see this, you know, you see this guy come in as a white belt, and he's he's submitting all these black belts and stuff like that. And you would see, you know, a lot of people because they didn't know jujitsu, they didn't know the ground grappling. You know, even though grappling has always been a part of the martial arts and it was known because of the move, I think because of movies and stuff like that, and especially in the ninja boom in the 80s and stuff like that, if you weren't kicking and punching and flipping and looking like a crane and talking about Denmark and, you know, chi and all that other stuff, they didn't consider you, like, you know, an effective martial art. wasn't artist. a martial art. Yeah. yeah. Nobody well, ever started to even remotely connect the dots between Greco-Roman and freestyle Olympic wrestling to a martial art until after Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu became a world phenomenon. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you have um, the Chinese MMA fighter who essentially is trying to challenge all these other classical Chinese martial artists, right? Uh, he, I mean, he's been on the news. We've talked about him yes. before, LT. Uh, and he's getting a lot of flack and a lot of uh, negative attention because he's like... Op- open challenge to any uh, any master of these well, disciplines in an actual UFC style fight. Yeah, and and there was one videotape where he just absolutely demolished the guy in like thirty seconds. No, it was actually less than that. It was like twelve. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, but the the problem the, the and the reason that those things came about is because like uh, um so I always say there's I always tear my martial arts, and one of the biggest things uh, about martial arts training is. If you are doing it as a form of self-defense or, you know, or whatever you're doing other than, you know, a hobby or exercise or something like that, you have to train to actually learn to apply what you learn against a fully resistant opponent, right? So uh, Matt Thornton used to call this aliveness from Straight Blast Gym. You have to train with aliveness. You know, if you are constantly doing, you know, forms uh, or, you know, two-man drills where the outcome, you know, the predetermined outcomes of what you're going to do. Hey, I throw, he throws a punch, I block, I do this. He throws a kick, I block, I do this. You know, and it's never dynamic. It's always static. It's never dynamic. You don't tend to be able to apply that when you're in a dynamic so- circle uh, so, um, situation. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, uh, Aikido seems to be like the favorite whipping boy of the martial arts world because, honestly, Aikido sucks in his training. It does. It sucks. And I challenge any Aikido guy out there. Um to to true prove me wrong and to date none of them have Steven Seagal is going to come out uh, of the fucking closet. Steven Seagal has like, been choked out be so like, many times. Matter of fact, just be uh, like LT, I have arrived. Matter of fact, I had a <laughs> uh, 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 one such Aikido guy is now a BJJ black belt after yes after uh, a weekend uh, a Saturday morning with me when I was a blue belt trying to cut my uh, BJJ teeth. Great guy too, by the way, and. Uh, Super martial artist, uh, special forces, military superhero kind of guy. Yeah. And he was an Aikido uh, instructor 
yep. who had deep trust in his abilities. And uh, so, yeah, this uh, friend of ours, he he's a great military guy and uh, special forces superhero. Uh, and so LT had just uh, opened up a small jujitsu school and they it was one of those places where people shared mat time. So this guy's classes would start and uh, finish up and afterwards LT's class would start. So uh, one day, you know. LT's not a not a little person, and he's not soft spoken when it comes to uh, certain things at all, <laughs> anything. <laughs> and uh, I believe a challenge was made at one point. And it wasn't, not, it not was surprising. It wasn't necessarily a challenge. I didn't challenge him. What happened was yes, it was. Well, no, what I happened, wasn't even there, and I can tell you what. The, happened. the words "I will whoop your ass" is kind of a challenge in in, in pretty much any language or. Okay, hold on. In my defense, (laughs) what happened was he, okay, it was a Saturday morning. He was supposed to have students there. None of his guys showed up. None of the guys showed up. Uh, A couple of my guys showed up, and we're training. So he's looking at us like, hmm. He had this look like, hmm, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. And I I go and say, hey, you want to come train with us? You know, come on and train. Let's, you know, step on the mat, you know, see what's going on. And he's like, hmm, I don't know, you know, what, what if I do this, what of that? And I was like, well, you can try that, but uh, I don't <laughs> think it's going to work. work. I don't think it's going to work. So he's like, okay. Translation, I'll whoop your ass. <laughs> <laughs> now, granted, uh, he, he come in. I mean, this guy's tabbed. This is, this, this is, he is not a little person either, and he's not. Um, <laughs> so when you say he's tabbed, what does that mean? He's, he's tabbed out. The, I mean, like uh, Ranger tab, SF tab, you know, he's tabbed out. Uh, the dude's. We we used to joke called him Jack Bauer because he would he would know like one I didn't know what his job was in the unit like he would just disappear and then he'd come back later and he'd be like, I'd be like man, what do you do and he's like oh man you know what I do and I'm like no I don't that's why I'm asking you but uh, I was like all right come on man let's get on the let's get on here so he's like okay well you know I want to fight you my style and you know we'll fight and we'll see what happens. And I choked him. I arm barred him. I, I, I basically I whooped his ass. That's what happened. I whooped his <laughs> ass. And again, this is a, a this is not just some tough guy. This is a very intelligent people. A lot of you know, rangers might be a little blind to. Okay, we all know rangers aren't necessarily smartest people on the planet. Okay, they're this, tough guys. They're super I'm, courageous I'm, I'm so and stuff sorry, like that. Guys. But they're not. They're not always the brightest of the bunch but i'll tell you special forces people are brilliant people they are super smart extra strategic and this guy he was god he's he's well over six foot tall uh way over 200 pounds with a six-pack probably runs half marathons for morning no he, he, he one of his hobbies he says he's a, a hobby climbing guy you know from mountaineering and stuff mm-hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm just doing this thing with some friends a couple days later. Yeah, my next notification of that particular situation was a documentary of an expedition in, like, this super sheer wall cave to freaking (laughs) climb that he did. Oh, and that was his hobby. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I just do this to stay fit. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, dude's like a superhero. Literally, he is a Captain America character. He is. uh, Next to me, uh, I am the Captain America. (laughs) But no, so what, what that what that actually fell back to, um, going back to what we were talking about, is that, you know, when you train, when you don't have that, that resistance, that pressure, that aliveness in your training, you're not, you, a lot of people find themselves um, at odd, you know, they don't know what to do when there's resistance. And I see that a lot with like a lot of keto guys and 
you know, a lot of, you know, kung fu guys and stuff like that, they, they don't actually train against someone who is, one, not uh, is fighting back and maybe using, you know, techniques. Like when jiu-jitsu, you, you're actually taught to um, learn to uh, deal with techniques. You, you know, we say yield to techniques that are, you know, whatever it is, doesn't matter. It's a kick, a punch, a choke, a hold, whatever, you know, and, and learn to solve that problem, so, you know, look for a solution. Um, a lot of a lot of martial arts out there, uh, they've gotten better now, but a lot of martial arts, especially at this time, um, they didn't do it. So when something happened, you know, they didn't they were they were lost. And uh, I guess the Gracie in Action video series uh, highlights that a lot, you know, where they went out and they were fighting all these guys, Hapkido guys, Taekwondo guys, Karate guys, and they just took them out of their element and they didn't know what to do. They were lost. Like. Oh, okay. There's, you know, I remember the Hapkido guy. You know, the Hapkido guy was like, you know, dude was flexible. He was fast, nice kicks, everything like that. And I believe in his eye, his, his head, he was going to win that fight easily. Like, that wasn't even going to be a challenge. And the first match with him probably went like 10 seconds and he lost. And who, then he. Who did he go against? Uh, he was with, uh, that was with uh, Horian Gracie oh, yeah, at the time. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, so he comes back and he he does a rematch, and he's like, "All right, I want to go again." And you know, again, second same, fight, it, same result, same result. And it is because they don't, you know, you you weren't trained, and I I can attest to this too. Growing up, you weren't really trained to be well rounded, and you trained to control. Well, not control. Is that you were you were trained like you were supposed to be loyal to your art. So like when I was doing karate, um, I also started doing judo. And my uh, karate teacher was actually kind of upset that I went, you know, and I was doing another martial art. You know, there was that whole little loyalty factor that they wanted the, the, the factor into. And the Gracie's are somewhat by the same way, but that's in a different fashion. But there wasn't this idea of, of training to be real well-rounded was not a thing. Like, your art was complete. I have, you, were, you practice a complete martial art. And you don't need training from anywhere else. And, that, and that, was the, that was the mentality for a while. Until the Gracie showed up, turned everything on its head, and you know, through that evolution, we end up to where we're at with with mixed martial arts, where people are learning to become well-rounded in their training. Uh, agreed. I have my own philosophy, and it's hard to explain to other people sometimes uh, in this na- in, in this whole thing too. But it's like I look at martial arts, and a lot of martial arts today are victims of what I call the telephone game. Where, you know, everything, uh, you know, uh, 200 years ago or whatever for that particular martial art, especially your more traditional martial arts, uh, was very prominent and worked very well. But over the years, you know, that message on how to do it has been diluted and changed off a little bit along the way. And people who are still very true to those martial arts from yesterday, uh, they're not getting the full effect they might know the katas or the concepts or philosophies but they don't necessarily have all the training methodologies down of what they did 200 years ago and how they were able to apply it in everyday battle 200 years ago compared to today in your dojo where there's a lawsuit waiting for you the second you uh you know you actually cold cock somebody (laughs) so uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of that in traditional martial arts today i think they're just victims of a lot of it and some of it you're seeing coming back full circle now you know when you look at like your mishita you know in the ufc this is somebody from a traditional karate background who's taken the time to apply 
modern day training concepts a lot that were reintroduced due to Brazilian jiu-jitsu in yep. the martial arts world and super success with his karate. Yeah. Uh, you know, even, you know, not just the fact he's also trains Brazilian jiu-jitsu and everything else and is a super well-rounded fighter all the way around, but a lot of his straight karate techniques have found 100% success in the octagon because he's applying modern training philosophies behind it. And that is something that I think is really lost in a lot of martial arts. And I'm going to go a little bit on a limb here, but that's what this podcast is about and say, you know, we're starting to experience that same problem in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu today in these schools. I mentioned earlier that, you know, we have a lot of students today who don't even think punching and kicking is part of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And this is a fault. This is a fault. And you, you know, and that that so you know, and it's funny because I actually did a, a private, I did a private class uh, last week um, with a guy, and he comes from um, a Krav Maga background. And when he was, you know, I was going to him and, and showing him the jujitsu, and I was like, yeah, so here, you know, if I want to enter, I'm showing a takedown. And I was like, okay, if I want to enter, you know, I would, you know, probably do like a combination, throw a jab cross to the head. You know, that way I could get close enough to seize control and all that. And he was just sitting there, and he was just shocked. He's like, "Well, what do you mean jab cross? I'm like, you, you just don't grab me? I was like, no. I was like, why would I just, if I walked up and just grabbed you, would you just let me grab you? And he's like, well, no, I'd, I'd hit you. And I'm like, exactly. But if I hit you and grab you, you're thinking about me hitting you first. And I, then I get to grab you, slam you down to the ground. And he's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that was in jujitsu. And I'm like... Yeah, it's because we, we, you know, and again, it's because we got away and we started looking at the sport and all the little gimmicks and stuff that we have, you know, worm guard, tarantula guard, you know, the upside down De La Hiva reverse panda sit out guard and stuff like that. And we forget the the uh, self-defense and the combatives af- aspects of, of jujitsu, which it was, was born on. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, any of my, one of my students will tell you uh there's anything you that'll upset me faster uh, in any practice or in competition, even if it's straight BJJ competition where it's not as big as a factor. If you go for the armbar or a triangle and you don't get that leg in addition to it, I'm throwing a fit. And, and that comes from the fact that you need that leg so they can't stand up, elevate you, and slam you. Slam you. It's part of the correct technique. That will protect you in a real situation, regardless of, well, it's against the rules. He can't pick me up and slam me in BJJ tournaments. Okay, I get it, but that doesn't mean you get to slack on what the technique yeah. and, and the correct way to do it in a real situation. Like, God damn it, Timmy, I taught you better than this. It, that's ex- You know, I think <laughs> I've used those exact words. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're right, because a lot of times, uh, a, a, a famous, um, there was a fight on The Ultimate Fighter, the show The Ultimate Fighter, where two guys were getting to a scuffle at the house, and one of the guys got the dude textbook armbar. I mean, it was beautiful armbar, and the guy picks him up, and, you know, and he's he's ready to slam him down. And this is a street fight. This is this yeah. is a fight. This is not yeah. in in you, the cage. You don't wait for him to tap. You break the arm. Right. Well, <laughs> he was he's. But you know, I was sitting there screaming at the TV like, "Hook the leg, hook the leg." That's what you're supposed to do because if you hook the leg, he can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like yeah, and and it's just like what you know, VC just said. When you, when you get so spoke, focused on the sport aspect, we, we lose a lot of the effectiveness and the technique. Yeah, and, we, and some of it's gone. You know, we see a lot of these 180-degree triangle chokes today, you know, where, where people are literally still, you know, you can look in their eyes 
you know, head on. And that's, that's, it's incorrect. You need that angle. I mean, today people train for the sport more and guys are more flexible, things like that. I'm not a little guy. I've never been flexible enough to do, to grab somebody in my own weight class and do a triangle from the front. I got to get an angle. But at the same time, I, I think to myself from back in the days when we trained in Brazil, you don't get that leg. They're going to they're gonna lift you up because before IBJJS, IBJJF standardized rules came out with no slamming, guess what? You were allowed to slam, slam. out of submissions. Yep. Uh, and uh, when we first started training, that, that was the norm. So you better get the leg or else you're going for a ride. So <laughs> grap- Grappler's Quest, was it Grappler's Quest? I believe it was Grappler's Quest. They did allow slamming, slamming out of uh, yes. Naga. I don't think Naga ever allowed it. But Grappler's Quest uh, would allow you to slam out of submission. Was there a uh, height? Um, like it couldn't a, like be. A it couldn't be. Like that? I couldn't pick them up all the way over my head and slam them down. It had to be at least from like waist height. Okay, waist so height. no power bombs. Yeah, but you could at least like waist and drop yeah. them. So okay. if I got up my waist and I drop you down, you know, something like that, pretty hard, or I could like hop and boom, drop you down. Yeah, because I've seen some fine. really, really brutal. Um, uh, jiu-jitsu tournament uh, disqualifications. You know, they have them all over YouTube. And there are some ones that you're like, holy fuck, that dude's demolished. Like, he's he's not getting up, like, in, in, in anytime soon. Well, we, we, I think we got one of our guys on that on that highlight. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, one of one of my students at uh, the European Championships several years ago, uh, we don't need to put any names out there, but he actually uh, made the, the main picture of the IBJJF website uh, after being DQ'd for for a slam, do not do this shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he was he was very upset with himself. It was just one of those situations, and again, it's where the rule set can become very frustrating, especially for the way we train in my schools. Uh, I really push my guys to try to finish fights and everything else. Yep. I'm a real big fan of the current uh, submission only trend that's going on right now in fact there was a smaller submission only tournament just yesterday and uh i had several of my students compete in it and we did very well and had a good time i think our uh, the training style that we have in my academies really fit to that well and uh so we found success but in his case he had a guy who was one of those point seeker kind of guys and he uh the guy scored one point on him or an advantage was only an advantage, advantage an advantage point and, you know, they're four minutes into their five-minute bout, and the guy just was completely, like, dug in like a tick in a guard. And my guy was trying everything to just break the guard open even. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually he got frustrated, and he just said, I don't care. I'm getting out of this guard. And he stood up, and he <laughs> jumped forward. <laughs> and, and we were both on the sidelines, and we were like, no. <laughs> it was a big slow motion moment, yeah. but uh, yeah, disqualification was yeah. the result. Well, that's something I also want to get into. So uh, we talked about the the technically what is jujitsu on like a, a grappling martial art level. Um, so we have the practical applications of the martial art, which is the street fight, the the finish the the, the finish the fight, the hook the leg, all that stuff. Uh, then you talk about the competition piece of it. So. Uh, when you talked about points and advantages, can you explain those a little bit? Sure. So uh, a point is scored based on, with the IBJJF, which is like the 10,000-pound gorilla of the rule set, there's different variations all over the world, but the the core stuff comes out of what they pretty much have produced. And uh, basically the way it works is anything that would give you a position that would cause you to be 
what we call a dominant position in the fight, i.e. I have more weapons to bear than you do at that situation, that gives me the upper hand, I would score different uh, point values for that. For example, if I were able to pass your guard, I am then in the dominant position side control, and that is worth X amount of points. If I get the mount where in a real fight, guess what, you're really screwed because now my elbows are coming down, things like that, I would get a lot of points. And, of course, if I have your back where you have zero weapons to attack me and I have all my weapons to bear on you, I would get a lot of points for that. So that would be the full point area. Advantages came in when we started, when the sport started to trend towards scoring points versus finished fights, and they had advantages. Now people became super defensive in those situations and it wasn't so easy to pass a guard anymore and it wasn't so easy to maintain a solid position to for the three seconds at which kind of conceptually would equal an amount of time where you could have uh used that position to your advantage with strikes or whatever so uh people started to get really defensive on those things and they wouldn't have enough time to have been successful just because they achieved that and that's when they would say advantage you didn't really score the point but advantage or if you were able to lock in a submission really good but the guy technically got out of it without tapping you would get an advantage for that because you did everything right he just did all the counter defensive points better than you did well usually they they'll give an advantage if um let's say if i go for an armbar, i have a submission locked in and he has to take time he has to stop what he's doing to defend it and if I don't finish him and he gets out, generally you get an advantage um, for that. So, like, for instance, you know, like, it's not because, like, I grab an arm. Like, if I have an arm and it's not a good arm bar, like, no one's going to tap from that. Just because you tried an arm bar and, you know, he gets out of it, they're not going to give you advantage. It has to be something where it's like, okay, I do an arm bar. He has to stop whatever he's doing, defend that in order to escape. And if he escapes from that, then you, you know, advantage. And in some places, like Naga, they actually award points for that. Yeah, exactly. Depending on the rule set. Like yeah. I said, there's the, the core 80, the core 80 value that kind of goes into it. And then there's the 20% of outlying rule sets that are slightly modified. Again, Naga's a little bit different. ADCC is a little bit different. Yep. Grappler's Quest is a little bit different. Okay. EBI is a lot different and a lot yeah. better. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about um, the technical piece, the competition piece, uh, the scoring systems. Uh, so I'd like to know what kind of uh, philosophies or life lessons uh, you two have learned f um, from jiu-jitsu. Kind of like a value system kind of thing. Wow. The first thing I learned that's really actually changed my life uh, is is there's always a way out. There's always a way out, no matter how bad things look or feel or anything else. Uh, sometimes you, you got to take a deep breath, suck it up, and and think about an intelligent way to get yourself out of the problem. And jujitsu has taught me how to do that faster and more efficiently than any other problem-solving skill I've had in my life. Well, I would like to say that jujitsu has taught me deep humbleness and how to center myself and look inward and align and the, my. And the lie detector <laughs> determined that was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I, you know what? And, and, and to be honest, that's like one of those things I actually question because jujitsu is a very humbling martial art for people. Like, if you weren't used to, like, it's easy to be really uh, arrogant and confident in karate, like point systems or taekwondo, where 
you you know where you you're playing point a, a tag game and jujitsu and even judo you in, in wrestling and most grappling arts you can be humbled real quickly you can have someone tie you up into a knot and like you know make you their bitch that doesn't happen to me too much and, and and honestly it never really did you know if i got tied up into a knot it was usually someone much higher level so that always bolstered my ego um and i always have a colossal ego anyway but the thing i i learned from jujitsu aside from there's a solution is uh is basically um is to adapt. Um, I, I, I sort of uh, paraphrased uh, or stole a saying from a manga, of all things. I already admitted I was a nerd. Um, where I say, I constantly say, um, we don't train jujitsu to win a match. We train jujitsu so when we fight, we can win using jujitsu. You know, and I think that speaks to the, uh, the, the, the adaptability and effectiveness of the art. And to put that into my everyday life, you know, I, I apply that by, um, well, not choking my coworkers, but any to any, uh, That's, that is also a lie. <laughs> okay. I choke my coworkers sometimes, <laughs> but I, I do that. Like, you know, sometimes we, we have a job where we, we will, there are a lot of barriers, a lot of things that will come up, a lot of changes that happen, you know, and sometimes you have to react to them, you know, really quickly. And, 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 I, I'm not as stressed by them as I've noticed some others are because, you know, I'm always thinking, well, in jiu-jitsu, you know, y- you got to deal with it. You can't just sit there and cry about it. You know, you got to find a solution or you're going to be, or you're going to, you're going to tap. Now, there's something that I've talked about jiu-jitsu in a previous podcast very, very briefly on was, um, uh, in modern day society, we don't really have the, um, the epic uh, coming of age type quest that we that we had the ages of old right I mean vision quest exactly right yeah <laughs> uh, to where uh, you know uh, there's really nothing challenging individuals today you know that there really isn't in that like, you have to seek that out it's not really a way of life everything is easy so a lot of people I see that are looking for um, validation. Uh, uh, some kind of verification, uh, a challenge, triumph kind of thing scenario. I see them go to jujitsu just to kind of test their metal. Do you guys see that as well? Yeah, um, I do see that, um, and you see, you actually do see it more and more today um, as a good, healthy outlet to, uh, um, I guess, uh, channel your testosterone or 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 just just to challenge yourself um, because we don't have those, you know those epic adventures anymore this jiu-jitsu is a way for people to you know do battle in a safe environment they get to go out there and test themselves pit themselves against another human being um who is trying to win as much as they are and just see how they hold up you know and and i think that does wonders for people's uh psychologically Uh, i i agree i do think that it's out there i don't necessarily at, at least in my academies i've not witnessed anybody who came to my academy specifically with that kind of concept in mind of I want to overcome something that I've not been able to before or anything else. However, I have witnessed probably in way more than 50% of my students uh, an enlightenment uh, of that success story. Even though they weren't looking for it, it took place. And it happens... I think it's more common today for it to happen a little bit later in life than when when I was a a teenager, you know, coming of age was 16, 17, 18 years old. And today we don't have 
a lot of milestones in those age categories. So uh, it's ha- either it doesn't happen at all or people find it more accidentally. And a lot of my students, younger students, uh, early 20s to late 20s, have, have found that through jujitsu. And I, I get emails uh, all the time from former students uh, who said, you know, jujitsu changed their life and helped them be able to figure out a lot of things in their li- life outside of jujitsu. And that coming of age story, jujitsu was that tool for them. Well. I have so I I did have guys walk into the academy and 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 actually come up with the, you know say hey I want to challenge myself you know I want to try jujitsu and I'll, I'll give you the story this quick little story of one kid um, uh, he shows up and I actually thought he was a student of my friend I was actually at his school teaching out of his school and he ran his own classes out there too. And this guy is showing up, and uh, on this day we had this day um, I call Fun Day. All right, it's much, it's very much like the street jujitsu class you went to, um, but with Fun Day we have the added benefit of things like shock knives and batons and you know padded batons and things like that. It's it's pretty much an all out brawl, you know. And, and I always say, well, it's not really all out brawl. It's it's really organized. But I, I use this as a way of saying um, uh, our training and showing my students, like, you know, this is you getting to see feedback, like how this is how you get to understand how good you've progressed over the years, how good you can perform. You know, this is not this is not for me, you know, and I call it fun day because everyone tends to have a blast. So he shows up on fun day and he's like, yeah, I want to take the class and uh, and, you know, I want to try this, you know, I want to challenge myself. So, okay, I bring him in, and in fun day, there's no quarters given. You step up on that mat, you know, that's it. You are, you're in the fight, okay? Whatever the scenario is that I, I put out for that day, you're in the fight. And he comes in there, and he gets the holy hell beat out of him. It's, you know, big time. Um, and he, there's... He got a, a cut. He was bleeding a little bit, not serious or anything like that. And I'm thinking, like, oh, shit, man, I just I just lost this kid. This kid's going to never come back. And he's going to be like, oh, I'm going to see a yelp, like, don't ever go here, you know, da, 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 and stuff like that. And he, at the end of the class, you know, I was talking to him after in uh, training, and I was like, you know, how do you feel, you know, trying to get fit back? And he was just like, this is awesome. <laughs> This is better than I ever imagined. He's like, this is exactly what I was looking for. I was like, I just wanted to know how I felt, you know, how I could challenge myself and how would I do in a fight and, you know, if I could stand up for myself and everything. And he's like, I, I, I want to do this some more. I want to keep doing it. And now the dude's a freaking beast. Yeah. You know, the guy's a, the kid's a beast. And, I mean, he was he, he was the little nerdy kid that came in. And now um, I, I put him against a lot of top people. Well, I mean, you said something, um, you know, I wanted to see how well I do in a fight. I feel like that's a very common um, challenge or, or idea, and, and especially guys' heads, you know. Idea, like, but like, very like, could few I take are willing to try. Yeah. Exactly. Like, oh, I could take him. It's like you have absolutely no experience doing that. You you would not Jason Bourne this shit right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. you would not. Um, but, uh, you know, from what I learned uh, from – uh, the the street roll and everything that I did, uh, I learned that rolling with younger, lower belts was way more difficult than rolling with higher belts. I <laughs> felt I felt more in danger. Like not that not, and it's really because the black belts would toy with me. 
Yeah. I think there's <laughs> a trust they, factor involved as abso- well. There was that, absolutely. Like, he knows what he's doing. He's letting me get positions. He's letting me kind of explore how to get in and out of these positions. And then we crush your dreams. That, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. It's just, it's like the, it's like the board game mousetrap, right? <laughs> yes. I'm going to let you get halfway through this fucking map, and then I'm going to strangle you. Do not pass go. Do not, do not collect $200. You can wake up on the side. Uh, but, uh, so, so my, uh, the reason I really got into jujitsu, uh, is, uh, uh, I started a family and I now have a kid and I was like, well, shit, if something happened, you know, how could I protect? Right. So how could, I, what could I do to, to be the, the typical masculine role in my family where it talks about providing and protecting? You know, it, protecting, like, I, I don't know. Like, what, what would I do? I, I have a baseball bat next to the door, but really, what's that going to do, you know? Um, so, But I can't take that baseball bat everywhere and uh, definitely wanted to learn more about, um, ha- learn more about and have a skill set that I could take with me anywhere and that I can implement anywhere uh, on a, you know, split second notice. Um, and also, it, it definitely breeds kind of a, a, uh, a confidence uh, oh, yeah. within you to where you're like, uh, uh, you know, I, we, we've seen this before where you have like a shy kid and then you bring him into jujitsu and then they kind of flourish. You you know exactly who we're going to go. I'm talk, I'm thinking about on this one. Oh, uh, absolutely. Oh, little Matthew. Yes. So Matthew was, uh, he was a soldier of mine and he was the young the young oh just just picture any one of the cast members from the movie revenge of the nerds yeah and you have this guy's picture in your head oh wow (laughs) and so we were you know we were in an infantry unit and infantry guys are not the um most uh, friendly and gentle of people to be around right especially if you're not uh, a type a you know personality type of guy which uh, matthew wasn't and what I did with my platoon is it. I made it mandatory that we train, we train jujitsu, you know, because I like to talk a lot of shit, and I wanted my my platoon to help back me up. And he wanted training partners because that back too. then they were hard to find. That yeah. too, <laughs> I, I will a, make my own. I'm not yes. gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I did use my position for personal for personal gain because I will, of, I will oh. cultivate them in the lab of mats. The whole reason why I opened my very first school is because I had no training partners. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. You had to, you know, you put the the, the sign out. But anyway, so I, we would train jujitsu, and uh, uh, we would actually have competitions within the battalion, and my guys were always. Always tearing up, always on top. And uh, we, you know, Green, he started, he took a real liking to it. Like, it, it hit him, like, big time. Like, it built his confidence. You, I actually saw the transformation. Like, he used to walk around with that little, you know, that young kid slouch posture and hunched over and everything. And as he started training, like, as the months went by, he started going, you know, shoulders back up. And one of the things that uh, um, I thought, like, uh, example, uh stood out to me uh, how much he was changing and being more confident is um, another at a, another company, a group of guys was talking shit to him and green came up and, you know, they were talking shit to green and stuff like that. And uh, green said, you know, he, he just answers back, shout out. He's like, man, shut up before I choke your bitch ass out. And, and everyone's like, Ooh, because you know, he'll do it. It's like, <laughs> so w- what happened? So w- me and green end up going to a European competition, uh, the European open, um in in Lisbon 
And at this at this particular one, it was really big because this was a rematch between, you know, Jacare, Ra- Jacare and and Haji Gracie. And you know, after after Jacare had won with the, a broken arm with the World's Tournament the the year before with a broken arm. He had a broken arm? Yeah. Yeah, so Hodger Gracie broke his arm with uh, like five seconds left in the fight or ten seconds left in the fight. Just and he, he didn't tap. tap. He, he didn't did. tap. Uh, and then kind of he was ahead on points and kind of ran away for the last ten seconds and won the world championship. So the next time they met or opportunity for them to meet and fight again was the European Open, and that's the time yeah. that we oh, were there. Man, that's like, oh, that was fuck. a big... I have, <laughs> I have the, the rematch actually on personal tape. I taped it myself there. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so we were in, you know, me and VC were there, and uh, so we're we're there, and uh, Green, who was he with? He was warming up with someone. Uh, Chub Chub. Chub Chub, yeah, he was warming up with Chub Chub. So Chub Chub and Green were warming up, and the, the mat, the warm up mats were not that big. It was just a little in a little room out to the side, and a little bit of mat, mats, and um, it was uh, Jacare and Megaton get on the uh, and these two are two black belts they're they're legends in in the BJJ world and they're warming up on the mat and uh and, and there's people taking videos and 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 pictures and stuff like that there's a crowd around and watching them warm up and um uh, you know while they're warming up they get over to where green and chub chub were warming up and uh green turns to him and it was like hey we're trying to we're trying to warm up over here okay stop hogging the mat <laughs> Right, that was the two white belts, yeah. and he's yeah. like, "Yeah, stop, stop having that." And and the funny thing is that they were like, "Oh, sorry," <laughs> they kind of moved out of the and way. they moved out of the way. And I was sitting there like, I was like, "Do you do you know who you just talked to?" So, goes, so this guy was at zero and you, turned that shit up to eleven. Yeah. That's all, that's what I'm hearing right now. Yeah. So I was like, "Do you know who you were talking to?" And he goes. I don't care. They were they were hogging the mat. <laughs> I was just like, oh wow. He said, I don't give a fuck about you. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So it, wow. it it definitely saw a transformation. And I'm not saying like the kid didn't turn into a dick, but he went from the the shy, you no know, confidence, no to, confidence to, you know, to a man, yeah, to assertive. A man. And that, and and I feel like that's missing from a lot of um, a lot of the culture today, and because people don't really have that kind of crucible moment, which which we've talked about before. Yeah, uh, and it's it's not even limited to guys too because I I will even say with my own daughter, um, who I I I, I drug through. Um, did Did you cultivate her in the lab for your training partner as well? I did. I did actually. <laughs> no, I'm not even joking. Like I started because I wanted to start teaching kids. Um, which, <laughs> so I made my own. Fuck it. So I was like, <laughs> so I was like, okay, I, I I got with my you know my daughter and found some others that around other kids and was like, okay, how do I how do I manage kids? Because anyone who's ever taught kids know. That's not an easy thing. You got to keep them engaged twenty four seven. Where you could let adults like drill on their own and you know go off. Kids, you got to keep them engaged. So, since she was seven, I started training uh, training her, and and now like everybody was like, "Wow, your daughter, she's she's really outspoken, outgoing. She's very assertive. She's very very confident." Like one thing, no one will tell you, my my daughter is shy. That's not a that's not a comment that ever will be. Linked to her, they will never say that she's a shrinking violet. She will, she will assert herself. She will make herself be heard, and that I think I owe a lot of that to her. You know, just training her in jujitsu and her seeing, you know, what she can do and what she can accomplish. As a matter of fact, when her first competition, she was she was um, still in her early teens, and she went entered the women's division and she took second place against women, you know, grown women. So I was like, yeah, that was a 
big confidence booster for her. Well, so I'm glad you kind of touched on that. The uh, uh, kids in uh, jujitsu. Uh, I recently just had a kid, and I've talked about for the longest time, at least the 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 past nine months. <laughs> so all the way up until I found out I was having a kid, I was uh, I was like, up oh, gonna learn jujitsu, gonna learn jujitsu. She's she's gonna learn jujitsu, like period point blank, because you know you see a lot of these bullying tactics that that happen today, and they happen because you know um, you you have that dominant personality, the typical bully, and then you. You know, what I always fear more is the silent, confident person in that scenario. Be like, like, oh, you, you want, you want to bully me? I'll just choke you out. Well, did you like, see that? Or, or shut up before I choke you out or something. Because <laughs> that, at that moment, like, shit, is he going, is he going to do it? You know, can he, can you do it? And you've seen a lot of videos mm-hmm. of young, uh, young kids. Like there's a video of uh, a young kid at a school being bullied he ends up graveling the dude, taking him down to the ground, and then arm bars him, yeah. and then gets up and walks away, like never to be fucked with again. And that's the exact kind of mentality that I want for my kid, like that that uh, that confidence to to be able to handle themselves, and um, uh, and uh, my I want my confidence in them that uh, that I don't have to worry about them on the playground. Kind of like, oh, you well, you you got the skills. So yeah, jujitsu definitely breeds confidence. Even if you're not doing well in your gym, it breeds a level of confidence mm-hmm. that you can deal with a physical threat. Yes, and that is a huge game changer in the way you spend your everyday life. Uh, I the the movie Fight Club came out. I was still a relatively new new instructor. I I. You know, I had my my school and I was teaching people and I really connected with one specific scene in there. And that's when he's on the bus and the big tough guy gets on the bus and everything else. And he just looks at the guy and kind of chuckles and laughs because he knows he's like that guy probably has never dealt with a real physical threat ever in his life and has no clue. Yet he thinks he's tough. Right, because nobody's ever really challenged him. Exactly, right. and and he's never dealt with a real situation. Whereas you can have a guy who comes into the jiu-jitsu gym and is 110 pounds soaking wet, and still, even if he's never tapped anybody, he has a level of confidence of knowing that he can deal with a physical threat because he does it in the in training every day. Well, Especially, this is well, hold on. Right. This is where I have a problem with jujitsu right now. All right, jujitsu is giving too much confidence to the little guy. All right, and I want to bring Big back. <laughs> all right, because just like it, and I know the scene you're talking about. So, and and I I get that too. Like I I had someone foolishly try to use that same example, when they're like, I'm a big guy, and you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, yeah, you're a big guy, but do you really know how to fight? You know, you probably never had to fight anybody. Da da da. And I'm just like, you have no idea. Yeah, but in your case, in your case, you do train and you do fight, and that's yes. a different person. I know than yeah. the dude who just you know and, lifts weights and, all day, yeah. or just the guy off the street. You I, know? I understand that, but see, the thing is, you know, I have to bring big back because all these little guys, they've gone. Jiu-jitsu has given them this tool so much, where you know you could go and Google like jujitsu versus bodybuilder, jujitsu versus this, and this little dude is 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 is, is tying this big dude and in, 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 into a knot. Now, I'm not saying that's, that's wrong for the little do but i'm like man at some point we got to bring big back well, oh, well, I, well I think no what that actually addresses is trained versus untrained well true agree you know? and, and, and that and that's that's 90 percent of the fights you're going to get into i'm just saying in the real world. i'm here to advocate for the big guy bringing big back <laughs> <laughs> i'm bringing big back okay. oh. 
<laughs> but uh what happens when you but, start drinking yeah, yeah but that that is the uh i i want my uh my my child to 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 be the trained one in that situation like regardless of size know how to handle yourself and and if we got to go down that road together like damn it we will <laughs> yeah that's true and and again you know that problem solving skill sometimes the the correct answer is don't let it become physical yeah absolutely don't let it become physical and again training teaches you those problem solving skills you know immediately you're gonna there's so many things that you learn that you take for granted that you don't even know you learn kind of like karate kid learning you know show me sand the floor i'll tell you one thing that people underestimate their ability in is understanding their surroundings and their current environment for what when quote-unquote battle is ready to take place you get in a, in a jiu-jitsu academy a lot of places if the instructor is good and the place is okay it's going to be a crowded mat mm-hmm. and yeah. you're, you're doing takedowns you're doing all these things you become super aware out of niceness that you don't want to step on other people hit them in the head accidentally run into walls get pushed out a window <laughs> all these weird things and that's just everyday training in your gym so when something does happen outside automatically part of your skill set is to take input of your immediate surroundings and what the scenario would be and again i think it's an underrated skill that's taught indirectly in everyday training today. No, the, you're you're absolutely right. I would uh, and and I I joke about I always I want to write a book called Matt Physics because uh you know, I always say no matter how much space is on the mat, everybody's going to some for some reason tend to come together. I could put two people on either uh, you know, two groups on either end of the mat and at some point they're going to end up in the middle together. But uh yeah, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh Man, we could talk about jujitsu forever because there's a lot of lessons out there. Um, but uh, oh, I really don't think this will be the last jujitsu. Oh, it definitely won't ever. be the last one. <laughs> but since I, I'm getting the the wrap it up uh, sign now, I just want to say, hey, everybody, thank you uh, for coming out for this episode of uh, Dose Defensive Gentlemen. VC, man, my brother, thank you very much for coming out to the podcast. Thank you. Oh, no problem. And uh, we will see you next time. Yep. Thanks. Ciao. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Dose Defensive Gentlemen podcast. We want to hear what you got to say, so leave us a comment below and hit that like button. Also, subscribe so you can get your future DOG updates.